Welcome to the Daiku Podcast with Gary Snow. Welcome to the Daiku Podcast, Episode 3. We are taking probably a welcome departure from me rambling about the city's grim and the game mechanics that I've been working on. And uh, we have a special guest, Chuck Welch, who is an expert, or I would say an expert on Doc Savage. And uh, he is going to share with us a little bit of the uh, history of Doc Savage, the world's first superhero. And uh, I think you'll find it very enlightening and entertaining. And uh, this forgotten hero uh, for many. And hopefully we can just shine a bit of a a light on him and uh, the people that brought him to life. So... Without further ado, here's our interview with Chuck. Today we are fortunate to be joined by Chuck Welch. Uh, With the Hodolgo Trading Company website and the Flea Run Discussion Group, Chuck has spent a quarter century bringing together fans of the Pulp Fiction character, Doc Savage. When he isn't discussing Doc Savage online, he edits the Bronze Gazette, a magazine devoted to Doc. Pre-COVID, Chuck hosted an annual convention for Doc Savage fans called the Bronze Conversation. In 2020, like many other activities, the conversation was held virtually. He'll tell you that he's not the world's foremost expert on Doc, but he's thrilled to host opportunities for those experts and fans to get together and discuss the fiction they fell in love with. Chuck, welcome and thank you for joining me today to discuss Doc Savage, the world's first superhero. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he was. (laughs) Maybe he wasn't. (laughs) always a bone of contention with everybody so uh thanks for having me here i have no idea why you want to talk about doc savage well Uh, you know even in my own investigation of uh, as uh, some of the podcast listeners know i've been designing a game called the city is grim and one of the things that i really wanted to hone in on was this like lead up to world war ii era of superheroes and in my research i came across doc savage um but I'll get to that maybe a little bit later. For those that don't know about Doc Savage, can you tell us a little bit about him? Sure. I I can give you some information, get you enough to where you can start finding out on your own. First and foremost, we're talking about a character from a magazine in the 1930s and 40s. This is the Pulp Fiction that everybody got confused with the movie when it came out. But at the time, Pulp Fiction magazines were the prime entertainment before TV and when radio was first starting. So Doc Savage uh, was a product of a a magazine firm called Street and Smith. And they had a hero that a lot of people have heard of called The Shadow. And Street and Smith wanted to expand their hero pulp line after their successful start of The Shadow. So in 1932, they created a character, uh, the publisher and the uh, prime editor, Henry Walston and John Nadevic, called Doc Savage. Though rooted in the traditional hero fiction, Doc was a product of a depression. That's the best way you can put it. Doc was a man, only a man, wasn't a guy with superpowers. He wasn't, didn't have any supernatural abilities. There was nothing unusual about Doc, except he had been raised from birth to be the best that he could be in everything he did. He was the best doctor there was. He was the best engineer there was. If there was a subject that Doc studied, he became the best at it. He was also a prime physical specimen. And the idea of this character was uh, very, very born in the time of the depression. 
when people were looking sort of down on themselves, you know, men especially, it's like, you know, I do everything I can and I can't have this wonderful life. Uh, Doc was somebody that the kids could emulate. Here was a person who did it all on, on his own. I mean, he exercised every day. He studied every day. He was a self-made man. And tell us a little bit just about even uh, the man of bronze and his name and how that kind of plays into it. Sure. Can I read you a little something? Sure. So before the magazine started, the Nanovic and Ralston created a, a, a novella uh, that was about the character. And, and I will read you this and let you edit out whatever you don't like later. Uh, but uh, I'll just read the beginning of it. Uh, the city of New York was shrouded in the deep gloom of a misty evening. The heaviness of the skies bore down upon the tall buildings, seeming to weigh them down under the oppressive atmosphere. Most of the buildings had been emptied of their daily toilers, but there were occasional shrouded eyes of light gleaming from their sides. High up under the eave of one of these chimneys, which New Yorkers called buildings, six men were gathered. They were in a beautifully furnished office which overlooked the city through its spacious windows on two sides, but their attention was focused on one of their number as he talked. Seated at this massive desk, this man held the five companions by his words as much as by his appearance. He was a large man, yet so well put together that the impression one received was not of size, but of power. And the bulk of his body was forgotten in the smooth symmetry of that powerful build. With his back toward one of the huge windows that took up the side of the office, his face was not sharply outlined except when he turned to the right or left to speak directly to his listeners. Then it struck the watcher as a face of most, most unusual qualities, the high strong forehead, the strong but not too full mouth, the firm set nose, all denoted character in every line. It was a face that was remarkable from whatever angle it was seen. The skin was of a healthy bronze color, bespeaking of long years spent beneath tropical suns and northern skies, of an active, exhilarating life of a man of action and adventure. His hair, as if made to match that perfectly colored skin, was a deeper bronze and lay back smoothly. Most striking of his features, though, were his eyes. Set well apart, they were like two powerful magnets that drew everything into their range. Their color too was bronze, a deep bronze color with lights playing up on it so that sometimes the bronze was like a heap of flaky gold glistening in the sun. All right, I'm gonna stop there. The guy was bronze, okay? You're not getting the point out. Well, and, and then that kind of leads into my uh, second part of that is that he was, the character was so influential. And, mm -hmm. and when you look at what, was written about him and the uh, the tropes of his stories. You can see the influence going forward for up until today. Um, and the Man of Bronze, and then maybe you want to elaborate oh, on sure. some of the the copying, like Superman and the Man of Steel. Like like all fictional characters, each generation steals. I'm sorry, borrows from the characters before. Um, Doc Savage's name in the in the books is Clark Savage Jr. And of course, you know. Superman's name is Clark Kent. Uh, Doc Savage had a place in the Arctic where he would go to study and to develop new gadgets and to get away from the world. Uh, and he called it the Fortress of Solitude. Superman came along later and guess what he has, a Fortress of Solitude. So 
uh, Doc had a lot of gadgets that he would use. He would wear a vest, and in that vest were all sorts of gadgets he would use during his, you know, adventures. And, you know, Batman, of course, had his utility belt and all his many bat, whatever they were called, you know, his bat yeah, gadgets. And and... Yeah, and, and what it was is that, you know, uh, the comics looked at Pulp Fiction uh, and said, what do we see that works that we can bring for our characters? I mean, everybody knew it at the time, you know, it, it wouldn't be like today where people are saying, oh, we've copyrighted Fortress Solitude or trademarked it, you can't have it. Uh, it was just done and people knew it happened. Uh, but in, not only in that, I think that what Doc really influenced the generation of, of the, the golden era comics is that he was a character that, that kids could uh, look up to. I mean, as good as you think Superman is, Doc Savage was that good. He was a good man. He helped the downtrodden. He helped the poor. He, you know, the underdog is who the, is the people that Doc worked for. Um, he lived in the city, much like uh, uh, Batman, and you know, and and was primarily helping people in the area. But he let all over the world that he would have his adventures. So uh, they they just. The comics just took bits and pieces of Doc and said, you know, what's worked and what can we, what can we take from that and make it work for our characters, which is okay. I mean, that's how each generation of fiction does. Yeah. And then if you go into like your first encounter with Doc, like how did that kind of come to be where you, obviously in over 25 years, that's a lot of passion for a single thing. And uh, most people <laughs> don't have that kind of passion. And so what, do you remember the first time you saw a doc book? Sure. And it was a lot more than 25 years ago. Oh, okay. uh, doc Savage was uh, reprinted. The magazines were reprinted in the sixties. And I can tell you more about that later if you're interested, yeah. but in, in the sixties uh, they put them into paperbacks. And as a kid, uh, I found a paperback book in my closet. I cannot tell you how it got there. Nobody in my family remembered buying it. Nobody knew where it came from. It was there. I read it. I loved it. It was uh, an adventure set in an earlier time that was obvious, you know, the, the cars were different, they, you know, the, they didn't have the same sort of life I had, uh, and it was only, you know, 30 years earlier, but it seemed like a different world for me. Uh, and that was a book called The Phantom City, and it was a book, you know, one of Doc Savage's, it wasn't even his first story, it wasn't the origin story or anything, I happened to have a book that was right in the middle. But what really, really attracted me to the series was a book from Philip Jose Farmer, a science fiction writer I'm sure you've heard of. Mm -hmm. He wrote Doc Savage's biography. So he took this fictional character and he said, well, let's just write, take all 181 novels and let's just write the story of Doc Savage. And as a kid, I found this book, which was called Doc Savage's Apocalyptic Life. And in each page, I was amazed that there were so many stories that I didn't even know about. You know, they had only printed like 20, 25 of these Doc Savage books. And suddenly I was finding out there was 181 of those. And uh, one thing about Doc Savage fans, we tend to be completists. <laughs> so <laughs> we have to have them all. So that started my life. I ended up owning a bookstore. I mean, all sorts of things happened because of Doc Savage. Wow. Um, so. Did I love the book? You know, I liked the book. I liked the story. 
uh, it wasn't the same as reading Raymond Chandler, you know, uh, you know, as, as our Isaac Asimov or any one of the other uh, authors I was reading at the time, but it was fun and it was easy. And, you know, it was like, um, you know, like anything else, you, you occasionally like something that doesn't make you think hard, yeah. you know, you can just enjoy. And that's what I loved about the Doc Savage books. And I'm a nerd, so I started collecting them all, and I started keeping stats on everything, on how many pages, you know, like what characters were in each book, all sorts of weird nerdy things. That, <laughs> and I did that for a few years. Well, even going back to the um, his apocalyptic life biography, mm -hmm. I mean, they wrote that as if Doc was uh, a real person. Mm -hmm. and the kind of the behind the scenes part of it and that itself is just fascinating that it just breathes life into the character uh, and yeah. um and and also the covers are so uh eye grabbing and eye catching and you can't help but go you can see the influence from this early time of the uh uh how science fiction books probably would have been um influenced by the james bama covers like he oh, yeah. his and he does uh he or he did some conan covers as well uh i'm gonna be the the guy that every doc savage fan's gonna hate because james bama was good uh, but he's not my favorite artist for oh, doc really? savage <laughs> uh there was a Bannum had a uh, art director named Len Leone who really wanted a striking cover. And I will give you that. The Doc Savage covers were striking. Uh, he made Doc Savage to me. He asked Bama to make him a little too bulked up. And then the uh, the hair that he has on there was something straight out of uh, the what the astronauts were looking like at the time. And that, you know, that really works for the 60s. And is it the Doc Savage that I saw in my head when I read the books? No, it's not the same guy. Uh, as you heard from my uh, brief description earlier, Doc Savage is supposed to sort of blend in, be a little more powerful than the normal guy. But if you saw, I don't know, The Rock walking down the street, he's going to stand out. And uh, I think that uh, the 1960s Doc Savage uh, covers again were great they really sold books that was what was important it's not the same as the doc savage that i read when i read the doc savage novels and you mentioned collecting so is your collection complete oh yeah it's been complete for years complete complete again again and complete i <laughs> at one point i think i had three or four sets of the books um and then of course i married a woman who was a doc savage fan and she had a couple of sets including a full set in french um since that's her native language so yeah we had quite a few sets of doc savage books it's been republished uh first in the magazines from 1933 to 1949 then Bantam republished the books as paperbacks from 64 to 90, 92. And then Sanctum republished them again in the 2000s. Uh, so you can buy, if you've got the money, any of the three sets uh, of books. Uh, the, 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 it costs you quite a bit to get the pulp magazines, uh, but you can find the Bantams and the Sanctums on eBay and in bookstores, uh, you know, pretty inexpensively. So it, it's, it's not, it's not, it won't break the bank if you decide you want to read all these books. And, and I'll throw something in for the Canadian uh, audience. Uh, 
in Canada, the uh, books are in the public domain, so they're actually online. Oh, wow. Yeah. I did not know that. And, and it's funny when I started doing my own research and, you know, being fascinated with them and I went to some used bookstores, they said it is very difficult to find a Doc Savage book because they just hop off the shelf. As soon as they get them, somebody's in there and grabs it right away. And so you have to be there at the right time to get them. <laughs> or you can be on one of my groups and then we trade with each other and share and help each other find our uh, completer our uh, collections. And that's where I uh, connected with you is through the, uh, the flea run group. And we'll mm -hmm. talk about that a little bit later, but okay. uh, uh, you know, I, what shocked me was just the passion of that <laughs> group and the people on that group and how I did the math. I think it's 88 years ago since he was first published. And I know he's kind of had ups and downs, but the passion that the, the, the fans of his have and your group members have is amazing. Like after all this time or daily, they are still talking about <laughs> yeah. somebody that Not hasn't only been still in... talking. It's been 25 years of still talking. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The group's been around for uh, 25 years now. Uh, started out as a, uh, a group on Yahoo back when Yahoo had groups. And even before that, we were uh, on the internet talking in what was called alt fan doc savage, which was a Usenet group. And you got to be really old to remember those. Uh, so yeah, it, it's, it's, you know, people come and go, but the core groups of people, uh, like talking about the minutia of the 181 plus novels. It's, it's, you know, it, it's never uninteresting to find something as seen by somebody else. You know, you could have a book that you couldn't stand and there'll be somebody else who wants to tell you it was the best Doc Savage novel written. And it's interesting to talk to each other about that sort of stuff. Well, I, like I said, it's just amazing the passion that this group brings and it, I'll definitely share the uh, links to the groups and your websites uh, in the uh, show details. But uh, maybe you could just talk also about the going back to the impact that mm -hmm. uh, Doc has had on um, modern day media. When you think about his five friends, the fabulous five that helped him mm -hmm. out and the Hidalgo Trading Company, which is one of your uh, website names, mm -hmm. is the Hidalgo Trading Company. If you could just kind of talk about the, the secret base and the fabulous five. Okay, and sure. His world. Tell you a little bit about. I didn't want to get into too much uh, nerd detail with you, but oh, that's uh, what we're here for. Okay, great then. Well, as as you just said, and, and in that little segment I read earlier, Doc had five friends. Um, if you believe Philip Jose Farmer, the five the six guys met during World War One uh, in an, uh, in a uh, a camp. They were uh, they were all captured, so they were in a prisoner of war camp. And these men, the five aides, are the five people that uh, became Doc's closest friends. Uh, and whenever he would have an adventure, uh, these guys would jump in and help him. And each one was a, uh, an expert in his own right in whatever field he was in. You had you know, one of the world's greatest chemists who happened to be a guy about five foot tall and super strong called Monk. Uh, so you had the one of the uh, best uh, lawyers, uh, attorneys, a guy named Brooks, Ham Brooks. And those two characters spent most of the novels arguing with each other. 
And doc fans will tell you that that's their favorite part of the novel. And doc fans will tell you sometimes that's their least favorite part of the novel. That's when <laughs> these two are arguing. There were three other aides, uh, and they were a construction engineer named Randy Renwick, who was uh, a big, huge guy whose favorite thing to do was to punch through uh, doors with his fist. Uh, an electrical engineer named uh, Long Tom Roberts and Johnny Little John, who was uh, an archaeologist and geologist. And in every book, there would be a reason for one of them to use their expertise. And each time they knew Doc knew more about that expertise than they did. Uh, and that was one of the amazing things is he's surrounding himself by some of the greatest minds on, in, on the planet. But at the same time, they each know he's got it, got their their uh, uh, education more than he does. I mean, more than they do. So, and it's an interesting kind of setup because the the characters that surround him are very lively, and mm -hmm. uh, you know that's where all the character comes. And Doc is kind of stoic and kind of uh, awkward uh, socially a little bit too. Yeah, if you look at it like uh, the he's the hub. He is the, the guy that's there. He doesn't let others know what uh, necessarily he's thinking. Uh, he likes uh, keeping sort of things close to his vest. If you want to play psychology games, you could say that being raised by scientists and not having your mother and father around as a kid made him a little uh, off. Uh, you could say that, but at the same time, everybody loves him you know all his all the other aides everybody uh literally will will risk their life for him and and as a writer uh it helps if your major character is not having to carry everything i mean all the aides each get their 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 little quirks and whatever throughout the book and as a reader you get to see if you're love monk you can you know look forward to the chapters where monk is is leading and if you love johnny then you know you look forward to the check uh, chapters where johnny is doing something uh, and you don't have to rely on doc for every bit of it but at the same time each one of them knows if it wasn't for doc they wouldn't be there and and they all uh look to doc to lead he's he's the definite leader and so I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> well, it, it definitely does. And then when you look at kind of how they structure a lot of the stories, and we could talk about uh, Lester Dent, who uh, mm -hmm. was the author of many of these, and but the whole structure of their uh, doc has his um, office space on the 86th floor of what everybody believes to be the Empire State Building, but they not just, everybody, not, not everybody, but it's a <laughs> significant skyscraper in New York. Yes. Yes. And then uh, the flea run, which your uh, group is named after is mm -hmm. if you can just describe like what a typical story is. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, I laugh about, you know, you ask how can groups of people talk for 25 years on, you know, the same thing over and over and over again, you find that people get into camps. There's the camp who believes in the books, it never says exactly what's a skyscraper. It gives hints. There's definitely hints that it's the Empire State Building. But then we could discuss for days, you know, in the group about, you know, 
Could it be the Chrysler building, which is my personal favorite, you know, or some other excuse. And, and what it is, is that this man has his office on the top of one of the tallest buildings on earth at the time in the 30s. Let's say it's the Empire State Building. Everybody knows who Doc Savage is. You know, he's got the... Uh, uh, um, emblems on his cars so he can run red lights and and you know cops don't pull him over because everybody loves Doc Savage now I'm talking the early years uh, and usually what happens in a novel uh, somebody comes to Doc Savage and says Doc I'm in trouble or Doc there's this crazy thing happening in my neighborhood or in my city or uh, and you got to help us out you're the only guy that can do it uh, or somebody just tries to bomb his front door and put him out of uh uh, out of commission before they try to take over the world. I mean, there's always some big bang start to this. Uh, and Doc Doc jumps into the fray uh, and the aides right with him. You know, it's like uh, tracking down the bad guys, finding out what's going on. And it reads as a mystery adventure for the whole novel. You know, you, you don't always know who the bad guy is. Uh, sometimes, you know, it's right obvious at the beginning. Sometimes there's a person pretending to be a good guy that ends up being the bad guy. And, and, and it's, these books were really written for the teenager in mind. And, and, uh, and, but yet they, as they found, as they were selling them, that people in their twenties and thirties were also loving the books. So they became a little more adult as the years went on. I don't mean adult that way. Uh, but you know, it's the, the idea was, is this rip-roaring adventure that you had each month for a dime uh, and let's say okay let's you asked about the flea run and the hidalgo yeah. trading company so he had this headquarters he also had to have a place for all his ships airplanes uh auto gyros uh, uh every kind of uh transportation you could think of doc owned because this man had tons of money uh so uh, he had his own gold mine uh, literally. Yeah. And so Doc had to have everything and he stored it in a warehouse on the Hudson River uh, in New York City. And that, that warehouse had its tiny little sign on the front of it that just said Hidalgo Trading Company, trying to hide in plain sight, I guess. Yeah. And to get from his office to the Hidalgo Trading Company without trying to go through traffic, he created basically a pneumatic tube that would take the guys from the office down the uh, elevator underground and straight to the Hidalgo Trading Company. And that was called the Flea Run. And and there they would get into their uh, jet their, gyrocopter. Yeah, their, their submarine, <laughs> whatever they needed for that story. And planes most often, you know, Doc always had the best planes. He designed them. Uh, he had the best submarines, he had the best ships, he, whatever it was, Doc had the best, uh, usually better than the government had at the time. So, And the types of adventures and what really kind of piqued my interest was just the, uh, the occult mm -hmm. slash like geopolitical villains slash like it's uh, just a fun group of villains and adventures that he would encounter on his uh, throughout all the novels. All, all the James Bond uh, villains that you remember from the movies, Doc had those same kind of uh, villains in his time. Somebody who was wanting to take over the world for how, whatever reason. 
uh, you know, it's it's like to make money just because they had some sort of reason they wanted to take over the world, uh, just because they were a bad guy who wanted to take over the world. And then there'd be like somebody who just wanted to run a scam, you know, just trying to make money. And, you know, uh, there'd be that one month. So uh, somebody and trying to corner. And, yeah. And, 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 vampires. You know, and, and there's where, you know, you get the fans of uh, 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 Scooby-Doo, because sometimes the goblins and the vampires were just a guy in a mask. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, so Doc tried to thread, you know, the needle between that uh, being a cult at times, but not really. You know, he tried, they, they tried really to, to give a scientific explanation for most of what they did. And the one villain... Uh, who's the only recurring villain that he's ever had was John Sunlight. Yes, John Sunlight uh, was in two novels, probably intended to be in three, but was in two. And John Sunlight was a, uh, a guy who wore all of one color at a time. So if he was wearing purple, everything was purple. If he was wearing yellow, it was all yellow. And John stumbled on Doc's Fortress of Solitude that I mentioned earlier. And got his way into the Fortress of Solitude and found the weapons that Doc had designed that were too uh, dangerous to be let out for mankind. And that's how we are introduced to John Sunlight. John Sunlight steals some of Doc's weapons and then goes out to conquer the world. And even I don't want to give too much away because you got to read those books. Yeah, cliffhangers, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but uh, and it's almost a, like I couldn't help but kind of feel like it's a bit of a like Magneto versus Professor X and X Men. They both had the same goals mm -hmm. theoretically, but uh, John Sunlight's approach is more authoritarian and uh, making people do things, whereas um, Doc had a more uh, holistic way of trying to help the world. Yeah, Doc. You know. Doc felt, you know, I can't say Doc felt because you never learned how Doc felt on pretty much anything. But in the way Doc acted was is that, you know, it, he he looked at people as being inherently good. And maybe some of them had some wrong troubles. Uh, I don't know if we should bring up the crime college because that's always controversial. But, you know, Doc felt that, that for, for the most part, humans are good. Uh, and uh, John Sunlight for the most part, thought humans needed to be uh, led. I guess that's the best way to put it. And his in his crime college, that was the, like a reform school for criminals that he had incarcerated, yes. essentially. Uh, it was it was worse than that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the gist of it was that in the late twenties, a doctor out in California had just had uh, done a study and claimed that almost all criminals had something wrong with their brain. There was a gland or something that was wrong. And if you fix that, they wouldn't be criminals. And in some way, somehow Lester Dent decided to bring that as part of the stories. And for a good while, uh, when Doc would capture, because remember now, Doc did not kill his enemies. He did not carry a gun. Uh, he did not shoot them. He did not blow them up. He wanted to capture them send him to his hospital called the crime college where they he would do an operation on the uh, criminal and uh, remove the the criminal part of his brain and then uh, re uh, retrain the person to have a good life 
Uh, that's a very, very controversial yeah. part of the books, <laughs> as you may in guess, today, yeah, in today's, in today's world, society. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it was it was rooted in the science of the time. And yeah. that's what, you know, we have to look at is in in the early 30s. This is what people believed. Yeah. I mean, the, the man who did the study testified in front of Congress, for God's sake. And you mentioned Lester Dent. And uh, so a lot of the books are written by Kenneth Robison, but that's Lester Dent, correct? Yeah, the, the Street and Smith uh, looked at the character as being team written. Uh, in the early days, uh, the publisher, Harry Ralston, uh, the editor, John Nanovic, and Lester Dent would sit down uh, Ralston would throw out some plot ideas, uh, Nanovic would have some, Dent would have some, they'd hash out which ones they thought would sell, uh, which ones they thought that Lester could write. Uh, Lester would put together an outline, send it to John Nanovic, John would, you know, suggest things, uh, and, and Lester would go off and write. Uh, they also hired a few other writers, so when I mean, Lester was trying to do a book a month, and occasionally he wanted to go out adventuring. So they would, uh, he'd either write three in a month, so he'd have a couple of months off, or he would hire some other ghost writers to help put some uh, novels up to give him some breaks. Uh, but for the most part, these things were uh, a, a team effort. I mean, Lester Dent did most of the writing. I think he wrote uh, probably a, uh, almost 140 of the 181 novels. Uh, and then other writers wrote the uh, rest. Uh, and I, I, I think that, that it really needs to look at that this was Street and Smith's toy. This is their, you know, they really wanted this character to do well. So, you know, it wasn't like, you know, nowadays Stephen King writes a book, you either publish it or you don't, you know, he's got that kind of power. Uh, with Lester, it was, you know, we like you doing this, Lester, but if you don't get it in on time, we're going to have to get somebody else to get one. You know, it's, it's you yeah. know, we need to get this thing out month after month after month, you know, and uh, and all that aside, Lester Dent created the majority of what we think of when we think of Doc Savage. I mean, you know, a lot of the the tropes and the the villains and the stuff, those were Lester Dent creations. So again, I'm not sure I answered your question on that. No, oh, that's uh, great. <laughs> Just to kind of see like his influence and you know, correct me if I'm wrong. There was a fundraiser um, to uh, have a bridge named after Lester yes. recently by the group. Yeah. What, what happened was, is that uh, Lester was from a town, La Plata, uh, Missouri, uh, and he had went back home and lived there while he was writing these books. I mean, he had come to New York City for a while and wrote while he was there. But, uh, you know, he really, I think he liked Missouri and he wanted to live in this small town that he had grown up in or, or had lived in. And uh, in the 30s, they had built a bridge over uh, for the railroad and for the cars. And uh, Lester helped raise funds for that, you know, by going out and doing talks about how uh, he had been uh, adventuring himself. I mean, one of the things to remember about Lester Dent, he was writing what he knew. Uh, he would, had a boat and he would go out hunting for gold. He would uh, go out exploring. He was a man who wanted to you know, not be stuck in an office in a city. This wasn't a guy who just hunched over a typewriter all day long. Uh, so uh, Lester had helped uh, build that bridge in the 30s and it needed to be replaced. And this, once the uh, state of Missouri decided they wanted to replace it, 
a bunch of people got together uh, from the flea run and from the town of La Plata and said, let's raise funds and ask the state to uh, call this the Lester Dent Bridge. It's not official yet uh, because of COVID. They've had to delay a lot of work and, uh, and you know, meetings and deciding, but uh, I, it's pretty uh, decided that it's going to be the Lester Dent Bridge. I mean, the town is very still. I mean, he, Lester Dent passed away in 1959, and the town is still proud of the, the guy who uh, put them, uh, who was their neighbor, uh, who was the, the man who had the gadget house, most of them <laughs> remember. So, yeah. Well, that's great. You know, it just shows that level of community and commitment uh, by the group that uh, you've put together. And, uh, you know, I guess before we close, I just got to ask you, do you have anything in particular, like, like a story that you go, this to me symbolizes doc this is like you know what for james bond it might some people might think it's a goldfinger or, or whatever is there something that if you could give advice to uh, somebody beside visit besides vis visiting your, your groups or your website is there like a great place to start you got to start at the beginning i mean if you're going to start reading these books you've got to start at the beginning but the problem is that the first two books are so different from the later books because they started out uh, doc being kind of violent he was very upset because in the beginning of the, uh, I'm not giving anything away here, but in the beginning of the first book, his dad has uh, died and uh, Doc sort of loses it a little bit. Uh, so I would say read three books, the first three books in the series, and you can go to any Doc Savage site and find out what those are. The first one's called The Man of Bronze again. Uh, so you can find that. One of my favorites is one that's much later in the series, and I would never tell anybody to start with that one because that doesn't give us good an idea of, uh, of who Doc is, uh, but it's actually written uh, uh, by someone who doesn't normally write the books. Uh, it's written by Lester Dent, but it is from the viewpoint of a person who's not one of the aides or Doc and uh, sort of caught up in the series. Uh, and that's called No Light to Die By. But start with the Man of Bronze. Okay, good advice. And yeah. the long rumored and on again, off again movie. Do you think mm -hmm. that uh, potential, I mean, maybe you can give us some background on that, but do you think that eventually, if something ever happened like that, could bring Doc to the masses? There was a Doc Savage movie in 1975. Well, I, uh, I think Ron most people Ely. like to skip over that one, don't they? Yeah, they do. And, and, and it, it was create it campy and uh it didn't do well to be honest uh the campy era had passed uh it came uh just five years before uh, uh indiana jones would be so successful and indiana jones is basically a lot like doc savage so mm -hmm. if you see indiana jones and you like him you'll like the doc savage books Another movie was proposed starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, but he decided to run for governor instead. Another movie was just recently proposed for uh, with Dwayne Johnson as Doc Savage. Uh, there's some uh, it's not it's it's what do they call it? development hell? Mm -hmm. uh, because from what I understand, the director wants to set it in the 30s. The studio wants it set in modern day. I'm going to tell you a, uh, uh, a not popular uh, opinion is that I hope they don't make a movie. I don't think Doc Savage is, for today's audience, the best character for a movie. 
they'll want to try and uh, you know do the origin because most people don't know him and it's going to be tough to sell that i think doc savage would make a better series on uh netflix mm-hmm. lost what uh, all their marvel characters who should now go ahead and get some pulp characters and do a series with pulp characters i think it would do very well that way um something and, to give people a chance to get into it and the rights holders are Condé nast correct and that's yeah. uh, vogue magazine and the new yorker and do, do you think they uh, without getting into trouble or <laughs> condemning them do you think they're the right people to handle somebody like doc savage or they've kind of left things to just kind of go about their business well right? you know the magazine world is is in free fall i mean people are not buying magazines as much as they used to and i am sure Condé Nast has a lot of things that are more important on their plate of trying to keep their uh, all their other magazines healthy um do they know what to do with the character well it's their character they can they can actually do pretty much what they want with it uh they had uh allowed a writer, Will Murray, to write some novels in the early 2000s. Uh, and then they decided that they were going to stop. Uh, they pulled back any sort of new novels coming out. They had a publisher who was putting out the, the reprints. They, uh, they stopped that uh, and they sort of brought everything back in house. What they're doing with the character, uh, well, they sure as, sure as the world were not going to tell me. <laughs> so I don't know what they're doing. Uh, Maybe they're just waiting, thinking that uh, at some point the, the movie might get made, or maybe there's something else going on that, that they just haven't shared. Uh, my personal opinion is, is I'd rather not see a movie. I'd rather see a series if I had to pick from the two. Yeah, that makes more sense to get it more involved and in, in-depth with the characters mm-hmm. and uh, have uh, a more frequent touch point, I guess, for people learning about them. And I think it, it's also one of those characters, it's not like... With the Marvel books, even when they did Iron Man, they weren't sure that that was going to work, the first one. Uh, But the characters are all better known. I mean, you're trying to do a character that, let's face it, for the majority of fans, they're well into their 60s now. And uh, you haven't heard much from the character since 75. So uh, it's going to be a big sell to try to get people to know who this character is, uh, you know. And going back to like the John Carter fail um, that Disney had, I believe that was Disney. Yes, that was. That would be a potential <laughs> risk similar to that, correct? Yeah, and what happened was, is I, I think it was a decent movie. I had a uh, my daughter was young at the time, saw it, thought it was great. The problem was is that everybody who was in the normal ticket buying public. They saw John Carter and said, "Well, wait a minute, this looks like this, or this looks like that." They didn't realize that John Carter was what all those other characters were based on. They just thought that this character who they'd never heard of was just ripping off other comics. Uh, so I think Doc Savage would have the same sort of problem, you know, and and it's just a hard sell to have something that today people don't necessarily want to watch movies that are about characters in the 60s or 30s. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the 30s, let alone the 60s. So, but yeah, it's just it's just a hard sell. So yeah. well, I, I don't blame Condé Nast for not rushing in to make the movie. 
Well, don't tell me that. I'm designing a, a role-playing game that's set in that era. In the now, you're a completely <laughs> different audience, okay? So it's it's what I'm talking about is like the general public. I'm sure that your game, you're not going to go out and try to get uh, 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 the kids that are playing, uh, uh, you know, the Dungeons & Dragons are, might be the ones who would go for this, but the kids who are playing, you know, uh, the latest war game it shows you how out of touch I am. I can't even tell you what the latest shoot 'em up war game is. Yeah, you know, like it's a Fortnite like, or something like that. Yeah, Fortnite. That that's yeah. one. You know, it's it's like it's a different audience. If you don't mind not having a huge Marvel, you know, universe blockbuster. If you want something that's smaller than that, Doc Savage will work. Yeah. Uh, if if you want to, the, the the 30s are an amazing time, and obviously somebody who spent most of his life dealing with characters from the 30s, not just Doc Savage. It's like the, you know everything about it is interesting, mm -hmm. but you have this huge sell that you have to make to get the general public into it before they will. Yeah, and I agree. The more I delve into it in my own research, uh, in, just between tramp steamers and float planes, and uh, <laughs> and like we were talking about earlier, like the gadgets, and um, I thought it's just it's a very very interesting time, and there are still kind of lost civilizations to discover. Right, and that, that we forgot to mention that earlier. That's also one of the Doc Savage novels. Uh, many of the novels are Doc discovers a lost civilization somehow, or it a lost civilization appears somewhere and Doc goes and investigates it, you know, things that in our cynical world, we think, oh, well, there's nowhere that we haven't seen on earth. And, yeah. and that's, that's a big thing about Doc Savage. The world is not as cynical in the books that you read there. And maybe you can answer this. Who came up with Skull Island first, King Kong or Doc Savage? <laughs> I, uh, I'll probably say King Kong. Oh, okay. <laughs> like you said before everybody is kind of riffing on each other and just yeah well you know some of these things you know it, it's like uh uh they're reading the same books you know and a lot of time uh, some of the people that do research on doc savage uh they go back and find the books that lester denton was reading and seeing where did he get some of his ideas they he's got his papers were donated to a college in uh, a, a uh, in Missouri and people go there and read all the manuscripts and read the notes and read the outlines and try to figure out well where did he get this crazy idea so it, it's you know it's with every sort of writer uh, you know there's one part creativity and one part uh, research I mean yeah. like you're doing with your game so it's it's a big part of your creativity but it's also research and knowing the the characters and the locales well enough yeah well definitely and uh, i've i've just found him uh fascinating and our discussion today uh fascinating and uh before we leave let's just go over uh where people can learn more uh so docsavage.org correct yes that's where the hidalgo trading company is that was the first one i did uh, 25 years ago uh and then if they want if they're on facebook which most everybody is now they can go to uh facebook.com groups slash flea run so f-l-e-a-r-u-n uh and join the group there uh it gets very nerdy at times but you know they're welcome just to sit back and listen if they you know just want to learn more about it uh, I also do the magazine, which is at uh, bronzegazette.com with uh, Terry and Kez. 
Uh, I want to throw a couple of other ones in if I can. Well, let's, not mine. Well, let's say uh, also remind people that they can subscribe to this year's uh, Bronze Gazette, which is three issues for 2021. Yes. And so 2021. Can, so you can subscribe there. Yeah, we've been going for 30 years. Uh, well, not us. We had another, there was another editor who started it in 1990s, but Bronze Gazette's been going for 30 years if you want to talk about uh, how long's Doc Savage fandom has lasted. And they can get back issues there as well. Yeah, some of them, some, some of them are still available. Uh, the ones that uh, Terry Kez and I have done are definitely available, which is like the last 15. Um, speaking of Kez, his artwork for, if you have any sort of interest in, uh, in any sort of character that's uh, in comics, movies, uh, Kez has done a fantasy cover of Doc and that character. Uh, and he is a great artist and uh, does a really good work. And he does that at docfantasycovers.com. And there's two more sites, if you don't mind me uh, oh, plugging here. Uh, there is a man named Tom Barnett, who is probably one of the, the uh, top Doc Savage researchers. He's got a site called bronzeicon.com. Uh, and one of the very first Doc Savage sites was by a man named Chris Cobb. And his is at heropulp.com slash the 86th floor. Uh, and you can find him uh, more Doc Savage art there. I hope somewhere you'll be able to put this uh, down because uh, it's easier to uh, yeah, I'll make to sure find him the, without my voice, right? <laughs> I'll make sure they're the, all the links are in the notes okay. and I'll put them uh, on our website. But also the uh, Bronze Conversation. Yes, the Bronze Conversation is something that we announce on the, the flea run right now since it's all uh, done by Zoom. So we, we get together on Zoom. We watch, uh, maybe we watch a fan edit of the uh, 1975 movie that actually makes the, uh, the movie uh, fun and interesting, which we have done. Uh, we talk about the characters face to face. So we, we started going online right after, well, it's been a year now, uh, right after COVID started making us all stay at home. Uh, so it's a way just to, I don't know, you're stuck in your house all day long. It's a way to, to see other people. Uh, and uh, someday when we can all move around again, we'll probably go back to La Plata uh, and meet together there and, and talk about uh, the books and talk about the characters and argue whether it was the Chrysler building or the Empire State building or any other kind of little arguments that we can do because uh, if fans do nothing else, they can argue about minutia. Yeah. Um, so, but it's fun, you know, it, it's uh, rarely do we, uh, we come to blows. I mean, rarely, very rarely. Well, I, I certainly appreciate you joining me today. Uh, you've enlightened me um, and I appreciate the work that you've done keeping Doc um, in the spotlight and uh, educating people on the history of Doc and the Fabulous Five. And, and uh, I just, just wanna say thank you once again for joining me today. Thank you for letting me uh, ramble on on a Friday afternoon. Thanks. Thanks.